0: Welcome to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we are talking about what books are taught in high school English classes.
1: But before we get to that, this episode is brought to you by Tell Me Lies, a new TV show based on the novel of the same name by Carole O'Lovering. We'll tell you more about it later in the episode, but Tell Me Lies is streaming now on Hulu. So let's get into some highs and lows. I feel like I'd like to give a general disclaimer that I'm slightly drunk, <laughs> I was not drunk when we did these interviews, but I am slightly drunk now. Well, tell me about your high. Oh, should I not say that we're together in Philly? Oh, no, yeah. I I think it makes more sense. I'm not drunk (laughs) alone in my apartment on Zoom. Uh, It's a Friday,
0: and it is 5.32 p.m., and we have been recording all day. We got pizza. We've been walking around, and I opened a bottle of wine at some point in there.
1: And the bottle of wine is
0: gone. It is finished. But we are just getting started, so Becca... (laughs)
1: transition that transition it's
0: transition was flawless thank you becca tell me your high
1: so my high is that i finished the fourth draft of my book on monday which i am very excited about so i sent it to my agent for another round of notes and then i think the goal is to tackle those notes kind of in the next two weeks hopefully slightly less big picture notes more granular notes and The goal right now is to try to go on submission by the end of the month. Going on submission meeting, trying to sell my book to a publisher.
0: I am so excited. We just had a very long discussion before we hit record about book stuff. I am so excited for Becca, and I have to tell you all, I'm reading the third draft, not the current draft. I'm behind draft or two, is what I mean. But it is so entirely unique and also 100% Becca. I'm so impressed. It's so smart. I can't wait for y'all to read it.
1: Thank you so much. That just means so much. I'm terrified. I'm excited. I don't know. I, I feel like this process is going to determine my next few months, few years. I don't know. So I'm, I'm just like really, I don't know how I feel, big feelings. It's
0: big. It's really big. It's a huge dream being met. So we're all rooting for you.
1: Thank you. I, I don't think that I want to share updates in real time about that process of being on submission, even though I know people will be very curious about it. I think, you know, I'll be able to share hopefully once a deal is done, but bear with me. I don't think I have the fortitude to share in real time because I think it's going to be high highs and low lows. (laughs) But akin to that, because I submitted my draft this week, it meant that I kind of had the week off while I wait for edits. And so I just had like a very nice low key week. And now I'm in Philly on Friday. Drunk. Drunk at 5.30. 30. <laughs> I need to go take a shower and, like, I feel like I'm gonna go play Pretty Pretty Becca where I, like, put on makeup and I, like, show up at dinner and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah,
0: sure that's exactly what will happen. What is Pretty Pretty Becca?
1: <laughs> when you're drunk and you're putting on your makeup and you, like, think it looks great and then your eyeliner. It's a dark restaurant. Your eyeliner is just everywhere.
0: You will look great.
1: Tell me your high
0: my high is i started a new show on hulu over the weekend i also started tell me lies which we'll tell you about later but this one is for all of my true crime creepy tv loving people out there it's the patient it is with steve carell and domino gleason who i love domino gleason plays a serial killer who kidnaps his therapist played by steve carell holds him hostage and is like you have to fix me the acting is phenomenal I am loving it. I love Steve Carell. I love Donald Gleason.
1: I feel like this is really major that a TV show made your high and not your obsession. Are you going to make this your whole personality? Are you confessing to a murder right now?
0: <laughs> no, I. To be honest with you, I just put these in, and I. I maybe I should have made my obsession my high. I just had the the most pleasant time watching the show. I'm so glad. Yeah even though it's extremely dark. So if you watch and you're like, Olivia enjoyed this, please don't judge me. What is your low?
1: My low is that I'm really struggling with cooking at home. It's part motivation, which is why I'm putting it as my low to hopefully guilt myself into doing more cooking at home. The other problem is temperature, which I hope is mm. taking care of itself. It has been so warm in my apartment, even though the weather has cooled off. Like I live on the third floor, heat rises. Turning on my oven just turns my apartment into an inferno. So mm. I hope that problem is abating and then I'll be able to address this. But yeah. Good luck. Thanks. You're like, I'm not ordering any takeout. And I'm like, I'm only ordering takeout.
0: Well, actually, I think this week we went and picked up food twice and we were supposed to cook. It was on the schedule and I just couldn't do it. I don't know. It's been a weird week for me. Maybe that's my low. Do you have a low? Not really.
1: Well, let's take a quick ad break. I am so excited about today's sponsor. I want to tell you about Tell Me Lies, a new TV show on Hulu based on Carola Lovering's 2018 novel. Emma Roberts is an executive producer. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that this is a podcast favorite book. Grace, Olivia, and I all loved it. And I'm really excited to see it come to screen and even more excited because the series does not disappoint. I was basically yelling at my TV as I watched the first three episodes because I was that invested.
0: Tell Me Lies follows the tumultuous relationship as it unfolds over the course of eight years. When Lucy Albright, played by Grace Van Patten, and Stephen DeMarco, played by Jackson White, meet in college, their relationship quickly evolves into an addictive entanglement that alters not only their own lives, but the lives of those around them. It's a cautionary tale about a woman whose life gets completely derailed when she loses herself in an unhealthy relationship.
1: The series is so infuriating, but also so addictive because I think most of us have a Steven in our past, that person that you like way more than they like you. I mean, Steven takes it to an extreme level with his gaslighting, but I found this series to be unfortunately Relatable, unfortunately for me. And I honestly think they were specifically targeting me with this show because it takes place in 2007, 2008, and the clothes, the music, the phones were taking me right back to my college years.
0: Actually, seeing all those details from those years, which was when I was about 15, 16, the UGG boots, the ankle-high UGG boots, I was upset. Anyway, I loved seeing those little details, and I cannot wait to watch more of the show personally. I definitely have had a few relationships is a generous word, but experiences in my past that reminded me of some aspects of the show as well. Tell Me Lies is streaming now on Hulu. You are not going to want to miss this. I feel like this is going to be the show that all your friends are going to be talking about this fall. Check out Tell Me Lies on Hulu and let us know what you think.
1: So our first teacher that we're talking to is Mary. Mary, maybe do you want to start by introducing yourself and telling us where you teach, what, what grades and courses you teach, and how long you've been teaching.
2: Absolutely. And thank you for having me. I love Olivia and Becca's friendship all around books. That's something that I emulate in my life. And I've been teaching English for 26 years. I teach AP literature. I do a lot of um, work with mentoring new teachers that want to uh, teach the AP curriculum. I've also taught a lot of courses where the students Students get uh, dual credit uh, at a college, but I've taught nine through 12, and I've taught every elective, creative writing, journalism, women's studies, and it's really a lovely way to spend one's life uh, taking literature, helping students to find a sense of belonging in the stories they read, and then helping them to also discover their own origin stories. It's fantastic. So thanks for having me.
1: We're so excited to talk to you. And it was so generous of you to
2: offer your time and your expertise. My children are teasing me because I listen to your podcasts and books and books and books. And of course, my own children at home, we have more books than anything else in the house. So they can't believe that mom is going on a podcast again to talk about more books.
0: (laughs) That's pretty cool, though. So to start, can you tell us what books are in your current curriculum?
2: Absolutely. So originally, for years, I taught my favorite, which was in the summer, The Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver. And this is sort of a master class in literature. You can uh, really get to so many different archetypes. Meta- you Anything I need to teach as far as illusion, biblical, uh, mythological, she uses allusions to Poe, William Carlos Williams, Emily Dickinson. So it is fantastic. But because of its length, some of the students would drop the class because they wait till Labor Day weekend. We start in my uh, state, after Labor Day weekend. And so they can't get through 500 pages of text. But one of my students actually said, Mrs. Sorrels, the more that I think about it, you really need to offer Frankenstein. So I brought Frankenstein into the as the summer read because then we want to go back to Wollstonecraft, the mom. Uh, it works really well. Shelley was 19 when she wrote Frankenstein. Oh, I had no and, idea. Wow. Yes, yes. So she was on summer vacation. And they have a contest. And so the students, I use the UPenn website for that. So there's an annotated Frankenstein. And it seems that for years, graduate students have been going on. So if you go and experience Frankenstein at the UPenn website, it's a treasure trove of illusions. So I missed Poisonwood. And I would have students through LinkedIn you know, say, I still have my copy. Or I know this guy's a keeper because he bought bought me in a, uh, you know, a signed (laughs) copy of Poisonwood Bible. So um, my own son, he's in high school now. And I noticed that his English teacher, in addition to just having a book that they're reading, concurrently, they will read a book in installments. So I'm bringing back Poisonwood, but we're reading it over seven installments like every month there's a reading due. So then that allows me this year, I will, I, I do chronology because the students talk about that they really have never had to read literature where they're being immersed in the artistic and historical context of the novels. And so much of what you want to do is societal criticism. So if uh, if we're going to move from Shelley to Austin, which we are this year, then what I want to talk about is Gender norms and class norms, and that's where they engage with the text. And there's so much remixing of Austin in the popular culture that they want to read Austin, whereas we may have been assigned Austin and that's all we had as choice. They want to. And so I did write a grant last year, and this was a funny moment, but I usually have a tea to go along with Austin. But I found a conference that you both would love, and it's at UNC Chapter. Chapel Hill and all of the Austinites congregate on Chapel Hill in June and do what they call Austin Camp. And they wear Regency dress, and they bring in all the foremost uh, Austin experts in the world. So I went to that. And so now I'm super charged to do Austin with my students and do the tea and all of that. And I do have males in my classroom. And funny, like at first, I think they have an eyebrow raised to the tea. And then after the tea, they say, can we do that again <laughs> because they know good food and they they have really great conversation around, especially, you know, gender, dating, courting in Pride and Prejudice. So we'll move from there uh, to uh, I, these poor kids. They're. In addition to all of their APs and jobs and relationships, they're applying to college. And that's high stress. So I like to bring in the transcendentalists and take some time with Song of Myself. And they one of their things they say, I say to them is channel your inner Whitman when you're writing your college essay. So we spend some time with Dickinson and Whitman and whatever transcendentalists they love. Um, then we go on to importance of being earnest and they love wild. And if you can find a local college or, or a company theater company doing that, it's, great. And I live in a place where the Shaw Festival is a car ride. So over the border in Canada, they put on all of these plays. Uh, So I'll take them to see the importance of being earnest. And they like the social satire and they're fascinated by Wilde's personal history because he was jailed um, for uh, being a sodomite. And it's actually spelled wrong in in the indictment. So they have heard of wild. Some of them go on to read the picture of Dorian Gray. They find that really fascinating. And sometimes I'll do Pygmalion as well because of language and speech and education. And they like that text as well. And then my music majors have been exposed to that with My Fair Lady. Do you want me to keep going into the twentieth century? Or do yeah,
1: you no, I want to. I want to know. It's, it seems like so far this feels very akin to the to the curriculum that I had when I was in high school, except for the Poisonwood Bible. Same. But I'm curious to get into some of the contemporary stuff and and to understand what you you teach there.
2: Okay, so just to make sure that we can still take classic texts, because I don't wanna only do contemporary because sometimes kids don't do well in college because all of your 101 and 201 classes are old Mm texts. So if you've only ever read contemporary literature, Their college entrance exams and their first at least year to year and a half of college, they have to read such dense, diction and syntax, that I'm doing them a disservice if I don't help them wade through complex text. Mm. So just to give you a little tip on how we're not just dealing with issues from 200 years ago, I always, we use databases, yes, but you can just do a Google Scholar search. So you do a search, if people don't know this, into your Google and you limit it to Google Scholar. And then you can just tell it that you only want articles that have been written about that text, like in the last 10 years. So then you take an old text and you move it forward and you make it very contemporary in the issues. So I say I'll give an assignment like where does Whitman live in the 21st century or where does Whitman live on social media? And they then come back and they find all of these Twitter pages or Instagram or TikToks that are referencing the texts and the illusions that they're actually reading the whole text. So that's how I try to give them both a classic education so that they can succeed in a higher level, but also then we do move into the 20th and the 21st century. So um, with the modernists, we, we talk about the modernists, but if you want to move forward into contemporary, um, I always check over what's being tested, what are on reading lists. One of my go-tos is to have the students compose a reading list for the instance for 2022 Every college that they're applying to do a little bit of research and what is the colleges we are all reading the same book text or go deeper, go to the department that you're going to study in and what's their recommended reading list. So then we we do a Google doc and some of those books for our independent choice reads or for a research paper, they can read anything on that list. That's where I found things like Behold the Dreamers by Imbola Mibiu. This ended up being my students' favorite book last year. I previewed, I've been in a book club for 25 years. The women are wonderful. Um, We have people in business. We've gone from being engaged to married. Some of us have gotten divorced. We have children who are now married. Non- non-divorce, that's good. <laughs> um, and so, so if I'm trying to preview a book, what I'll tend to do is I will have them read it. And so my book club becomes the gatekeepers for is this worthy enough of my beautiful students? So then um, this book, Mbola Mbio's Behold the Dreamers, it was an Oprah pick, but I had never read it. And it's set in 2008 and you have a Cameroonian immigrant going for a job interview as a driver for a, an executive at the Lehman Brothers. And then it it takes you through their family's conflicts and unraveling when the financial crisis hits. And the students found it very relevant like the the american dream i think sometimes where we want to definitely have inclusivity for race gender class but we forget sometimes there's a lot with age and being a teenager versus an adult or not having your ideas found worthy because of your age and i think that book had everything and they they gave it i always have them rate books at the end and i'll do like you know on a scale of zero to ten how would you rate it and why would you recommend this book to whom all of those book clubby things and then i keep all of that data when i'm deciding what to offer next year and they adored that book and so I I will keep that in the curriculum. Another book that they, oh, I know another way to generate titles is to have uh, a project like what inspires you or seeking inspiration in the world. And to say that one of the things that they have to include is film, podcast, I will recommend this podcast always. <laughs> I do sometimes have them do podcasts because the listening is, so, is such an important skill. And, but they also will um, tell me what's inspiring them. And so some of them want to go back to the classic text. So they'll say things like, oh, I'm reading Camus, The Stranger. And you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I better go back and reread that. I haven't read it in 25 years. But they'll also read things like um, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And so sometimes their recommendations definitely inform what I'm reading. And there are a lot of current things, like in Ethan Frome, that feels so old. There's a lot of contemporary authors that revisit those stories. So uh, one of my students brought me, I'm looking at my bookshelf, a book called The Smash Up that's based on Ethan Frome. So I think we think, oh, those classic dusty texts, nobody wants to read them anymore, but they've never read them. So as long as you can show why the issues are still uh, relevant in their world and let them speak to that, I think that there's a range from contemporary to to ancient. I mean, I love teaching Antigone. It's a wonderful text and there's so much relevancy to do I follow the law of God? Do I follow the law of family? Do I follow the law of man, of the state? Uh, So I I don't think we should, because we've read it and it feels um, dated, just assume that it's dated for them because they surprise, surprise me all the time. So how do the books get chosen for your curriculum? I I know you're teaching
1: AP Lit, so you have to prepare for the AP test. It sounds like there's some aspect of preparing for college. Does your school Mm -hmm. board have any say in terms of like, this is the standard curriculum, or is it truly you can choose whatever you want to teach?
2: So this is multifaceted, and this is when you're mentoring a new teacher, you want to have the voice of experience. So we all read headlines of what's going on around the country with different aspects of who are the stakeholders, who gets to choose. And so I feel that we have a very balanced approach, which is that if something's going to enter the curriculum, that everybody it's required, that everyone must read. We do have a curriculum department, and we can, as a department, show why we're teaching this text, uh, you know, all of the book reviews, if it's something that's tested, uh, either at the state level, the college board level, um, beyond that, if you have a parent that for some reason, that for and it could be many reasons, doesn't feel like a title is right for his or her child, then you can always offer something thematically that the child can still have the skill set that you're trying to approach, but that that child is not you know, forced to read a book. The parents are not forced to have their child read something that's either developmentally inappropriate or in today's world, we're sensitive to mental health. There's so many things that a parent knows about a child that I may or may not know. So we always, if a parent or a child would Like an alternative that would be available. It happens infrequently, to be very honest. Um, I think, you know, my master's thesis many years ago was on the power of choice. And so, in every course I've ever taught, I might design a unit around coming of age texts and there might be Antigone, there might be the bell jar, there might be catcher in the rye, but the student might also bring in something if he or she is exploring LGBTQ Plus issues, maybe that's the book that child wants to read. So then, what I do for those kinds of texts is it's a research project first. So just like you, if you were proposing a variance to your boss beyond what the what he or she wanted you to do, or they, you would um, say, write a memo. So they write a memo. They put some research in. Their their parent or guardian signs off. This I've read the memo. I know this is why my student, my child. Wants to read this book for the unit of study. And then that way you're teaching a real world skill. Like you've done your research, you've embedded the book review in a memo. I teach the memo format. You kind of got your supervisor's signature. Now in college, we know the parents aren't gonna necessarily don't sign off on anything, but I'm I'm very cognizant of the fact that I teach young people and their parents know their needs in a way that I may not. So those are ways that I've found that we can make stakeholders feel a part of the process and it doesn't get to a point of contention.
1: I'm curious if you were to estimate what percentage of the curriculum is something that the student gets to choose versus that's being assigned to them.
2: I would say that of six units of study, two units have student choice. But within that, on on any given in any given unit, if I'm doing a unit on post World War II literature and we're reading something in common, it might be that you get to choose a Beatnik poet of your of your choice. Um, Or so there's always choice. So within that unit that we're all reading a common text as the primary source, the secondary sources are always optional. That's where you bring your reading. That's where you get onto a database and you're super interested in gender issues. Then you get to explore how that relates to the text at hand.
1: Your English class sounds much more fun than my English class. I I sometimes think that I became a reader in spite of, of my high school English class like I, I just remember uh, I specifically remember Beowulf and just being
0: <laughs> son of Alphbao we had to memorize it oh god Beowulf son of Alphbao
1: yeah <laughs> like I, I just
2: remember like those types of texts and being like why are we reading this but then, if you think about alienation and how we make monsters and demons and we scare people with these, this, you know, mythology around certain identities, it's super relevant. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Angelina Jolie did her, uh, her boat, Beowulf. So, it's you true. know, you can always have them do a film study along with the reading.
0: This makes me want to take AP Lit again. Did you take it? Yeah, it was my only five. I just, I got a five. I got
2: a five too. Oh, now I know why I love your podcast. I feel like I
1: I wish I could go back to high school or college now because I feel like I would enjoy it and actually do the work so much more than I did when I was actually in school. Like, it would be interesting to re-explore some of these things. Not Beowulf, but, you know, to explore some of these other works.
2: But it's funny how we all are haunted by some text that was just abysmal. Sadly for me, in um, a full circle moment, uh, one of my favorite things to teach Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. I love the female mentorship. I love that Alice Walker sort of launched her publication career in Ms. Magazine by placing the grave marker on Zora Neale's grave. My son was assigned this book in his AP literature class this year. And they always say, never teach your favorite book because it may not be your favorite after that. That's <laughs> never happened to me because of the beautiful kids I teach. But I would say, never um, have your son read your favorite book. <laughs> 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 you, I gave it such a send off. I had him listening to Ruby D read. I had everything. And he doesn't like their eyes for watching God. So that might be his Beowulf. <laughs> But, you know, I think you know as long as you can let the students speak to that. Like, well, why didn't you enjoy it? Why doesn't it speak to you? And I guess like for their for their eyes, we're watching God in his English teachers' um, corner. He she also had them reading fences and kindred, so there was something in there for him to connect to. And I think once he gets into class and he sees the really cool connections, and that's why I love your podcast, right? Because because you point out things and your, your listeners in all the comments. And that's how I found the opportunity to do this with you in the Facebook group, because then people show you like, oh, you didn't get that on your first reading, but look at how my perspective opens up so it's not just what the author wrote, but it's how you write your own story beside those words. Um, so that's what I love about your podcast. But yeah, don't don't teach your son your favorite
1: <laughs> book. <laughs> I love this. Mary, I can't thank you enough yes, for being so, so generous with your time and your your experience here. This has been so interesting to reframe why we learned some of the texts that we did, but also to understand what are some of the new things. I'm very scandalized that your students are reading. Um, Good for them.
2: The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I know, I know. Not as part of the curriculum, but as their choice (laughs) and their love. And yeah, if you ever want to do kind of a Google doc where we're all adding stuff, that would be so fun. But thank you for your time and energy. And I love this community.
0: Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. So this could just be me, but there's always been this one interview with Beyonce that has just stuck in my mind for years and years. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially she says something like, whenever I'm feeling really down, I give myself one day to wallow and then I figure it out and I get over it. And this is kind of how I approach life too. Beyonce and I are very similar (laughs) in many ways many ways, some days are hard. You're going to feel stressed or overwhelmed or uninspired, and I think it's okay to feel those feelings sometimes and lean into them even. But I also think it's important to then prioritize problem solving.
1: So I'm naturally a solution-oriented person, and there's just no better feeling than identifying what's going wrong and figuring out how to fix it. But it can be tough to train your brain to do this if it doesn't come naturally to you. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver. And if you're thinking of trying therapy, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. You get matched with a therapist after filling out a
0: brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time. This is so key because finding a therapist that you connect with is the only way to get the most out of the experience, in my opinion. My therapist regularly helps me feel like I have the tools and resources to conquer anything and everything that's going on in my life, from huge obstacles to just day-to-day stressors.
1: When you want to be a problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BatOnPaper today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash BatOnPaper we're so excited to have caroline here with us caroline can you introduce yourself and tell us where you teach what
3: grades how long you've been teaching yes so i'm caroline i teach in wilmington delaware at mount pleasant high school this is my ninth year there and every year i've taught ninth grade english and tenth grade sprinkled a couple in there but ninth and tenth this year
1: Well, we're very excited to hear from you. Kick us off. What books are ninth graders reading in your classroom?
3: This year is a little different because we're kind of shifting to a new curriculum. So the only actual book that I have planned concrete for sure is Romeo and Juliet, which I wouldn't always pick because sometimes freshmen are intimidated by it, but they've loved it previously. So I'm hoping that they can you know, carry that tradition on. Do they still watch
1: the Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet? That was everything to me when I was, I guess, probably in like middle school or early high school.
3: Is that the one with Leonardo DiCaprio? Sure is. Yeah, Yeah, they are like obsessed with it. They have the strongest reactions ever. They're like freaking out about weird things, like how many candles there are and how they're not all like catching on fire and like (laughs) just like weird stuff. But they love it so much. And it's I think the only reason that we're like able to get them engaged in yeah. Romeo and
1: Juliet. I feel like that was the same for me where I'd seen that movie so many times. That I was excited to actually read it because I had a huge crush on Leonardo DiCaprio. And that movie mm. was very important to me at that age.
0: Have you seen that TikTok where the mom is like, I'm, I'm having my daughter watch this and she doesn't know what it's about at all. And she, they just cut to the daughter and she was like hysterically crying and like screaming. Oh, my gosh. Just, I love it.
3: The oldest I have ever felt is when I was trying to get the kids really pumped up to read it. And I was like, we're going to watch a Leonardo DiCaprio movie. And they're like, who's that? Oh, my and God. I'm like, no.
2: Oh. No. Yeah. No. Well.
3: It was pretty painful. Man. But, I mean, like, aside from Romeo and Juliet, typically books that I've taught in the past have been, like, Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian. I don't know if you've read no, that. I'm not familiar. That's one of their favorites, for sure.
1: What's the premise? Like, is it contemporary?
3: It is contemporary. It's um, Sherman Alexie. I don't know if you've heard anything from him, but he is the character. It's kind of semi-autobiographical in a way. The character is a poor Native American on a Native American reservation in Washington, and he is smart and that kind of stands out where he's from. So he goes to a white school, quote, unquote. And he's kind of ostracized because not only is he the only Native American there, he also has some pretty intense physical disabilities and like things that set him apart. Like he has like a ton of extra teeth in his mouth and wears these like big, huge glasses. And like, he just like does not fit in in any way. And he's poor and everybody else there is rich. And he like joins the basketball team and like, gets this like pseudo girlfriend and like it's just super relatable for the kids because they like check so many boxes that kids relate to like relationship problems bullying like you know coming of age all those kinds of things so they love it and the the voice of the character is hilarious like he talks about like masturbation and like like um he always is like drawing these little like cartoons that look really goofy and they just love it. It's like right up their alley. So in the past, that's been the first thing that I've taught to kind of like get them engaged because they just, they love it. It's hilarious.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. I've never heard of that one. Mm -hmm. What else are you usually teaching in your curriculum?
3: So we have, there's a law in Delaware, which I don't know if it's a national law, but there's a law in Delaware that every grade has to teach about the Holocaust and genocide at some point. So I always try to fit um, some type of Holocaust book in. That's a really big passion of mine is like teaching about that. So in the past, for the past few years, I've taught a book called The Boy Who Dared, which nobody ever knows. It's like kind of, I feel like it's kind of like a made for school type book, but it's about it's a true story about the youngest boy to be executed by the Nazis for treason. So it's kind of like a starting point for like a take ownership of your own life kind of thing. Um, You know, you see something, say something. It's just like a better alternative than the concentration camp books that people typically do because it, this is more relatable to them. Like they're in a situation where they see something wrong and step up and do something about it. And they, we infuse parts of the Holocaust, but they like that. So we've done that for a few years, a long way gone. That How sounds familiar. It's a memoir by Ishmael beya and they think they're really excited about it at first because it's about a child soldier in Sierra Leone. Um, but then they realize that it's like a real book and they like, don't want to read it anymore. But um, so it's like, it's a true story about his experience. Like, serving in the Sierra Leone army and like fighting rebels who destroyed his home and like killed his parents and like how he gets rehabilitated and um, can kind of overcome everything with the help of a lot of adults who cared. Um, And like he grows up to become like, I, I don't know if he's an actual UNICEF ambassador, but he's definitely philanthropic and goes and helps in Sierra Leone. And I mean, he's a big activist. What else? of mice and men we've taught sometimes, but I don't always teach that because the hunger games we've taught before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's like a whole dystopian unit where we'll pull in like Harrison Bergeron and just like a whole bunch. Yeah. Talk about like characteristics of dystopian literature and they really like that too. It's pretty fun. Are there certain
1: skills or milestones within ninth grade English that they're supposed to check? Like, I guess I'm curious, is the goal to just get them interested in reading? Is the goal for them to like learn about certain literary devices? Like what is ninth grade? What's the goal of ninth grade English?
3: Well, yes, there are standards for English that you're supposed to hit. And as I was thinking about some of the questions that you sent before, like I kind of realized why there's a shift in what we teach now and what we maybe learned in high school. But there are standards. There are the common core state standards that outline like what they have to be able to do by the time they move on. And there's things like be able to analyze how the theme of a text is developed by the plot or the characters or how the language contributes to the mood or like those kinds of things. It's skill-based performance-based. It's all analytical, but I think in ninth grade, yeah, we want to teach those standards, but we also want to give them like a survey of what English is going to be like for all four years. And a kind of touch on every part of the standards. So we also have to do research. We also have to look at poetry. We have to like infuse all of these pieces, like nonfiction texts, um, informational texts, which is different than nonfiction, which many people don't know. Like you you have to infuse all of that all over the place. So it can be kind of tough to decide what to pick because you're supposed to pick the best vehicle for the standards, And that's not always the most interesting books.
1: (laughs) No, it's so interesting because you don't think about that, obviously, when you're the ninth grader sitting in class. Like, why am I learning this? You're just like, oh, I don't want to read
3: whatever book. Right. Ninth grade is tough, too, because like high school is completely new for them. And like at least in our high school, we have 90 minute periods. And it's really hard to get kids to sit there for 90 minutes. So we also have to take into consideration like engaging texts because we have to get them to read them on their own for a long period of time. So I'm not going to give them the old man in the sea because that's never going to happen. They need something just a little bit more interesting that can also have them meet the educational goals.
0: I have two questions. Is Is there a book in the curriculum that your students get the most excited about or in the past? And then on the flip side of that, I'm I'm curious, what is the book of today's high school students where everyone is like, no, please, God, no, even though that, you know, it's important to learn.
3: They always like absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian a lot. That's one that they definitely can get into pretty quickly because it starts off really engaging. But I have found that like if you start with something really engaging, the kids will think anything else that you give them is also really engaging. So they don't put up a big fight. Like, but I, when I was inexperienced in my first few years, like I would start off with like of mice and men, which if you get the kids to buy into it later in the year, they'll totally tackle it just fine. But it's kind of dry if they don't know that you're not dry. So that one gets a little bit of a fight. And A Long Way Gone was a little too long for them. Like, they just did not like doing that. But they all prefer anything novel-wise to poetry, hands down. They don't (laughs) want to touch that
0: at all. That makes sense.
3: And are your students,
1: are any of them big readers outside of school? Like, what are the popular books
3: that they're reading that aren't assigned? I would say most of them are not big readers. I am pretty good at recommending books to people, who have no experience reading or no interest in it. I'm pretty good at that. I cannot get kids these days to read. Literacy is just not on their radar. But those of them who are reading, there are many. I mean, there are a few. Colleen Hoover has been pretty big. One girl just finished Verity. She gave me November 9th. She's like, you have to read this. And I'm not a big Colleen Hoover fan, but she is. So I'm going to read it and I'm going to talk to her about it. Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo has been going around a lot with, like, the older kids who I don't teach anymore. Like, I wouldn't give that to my ninth graders, but... Where are they learning about this? Is it on TikTok? Yeah. Well, also, like, okay. some of the older ones, like, when I taught 10th grade last year, towards the end of the year, if they were asking for recommendations, like, I'll have people request certain genres. And, like, one kid asked me, like, do you have any gay books? And I was like, well, this one's good. And it has a character who's not necessarily straight. Like, it's, but let's take that and roll with it. And she read it and loved it and started passing it around. Or like my teacher friends, we all share books and just pass them around. And for the kids who we know like to read, we'll pass them to them when we're done or they'll see us reading. I have displays. We all the English teachers have displays up like, here's what I just read. Here's what I'm reading next. And they'll steal them. Or I don't know if you've talked to anybody else who's done like first chapter Friday. No, what's that? That's a trend that's going around with English teachers where you pick a book every Friday and you just read the first chapter to the kids in hopes of getting them to find something that they like by the end of the year. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. It's fun. You have to find like good, engaging books and it can be tough because like not everybody is going to like that thriller that you pick.
1: In your class, is it everyone's reading the same book or is there any like independent reading where they get to pick what they're reading?
3: We've done a couple different things. This year, their independent reading part will actually be like based on research. So they'll pick their own research topic and they'll develop that. They might they will do one project in groups where they we give them like options, um, but they'll do another one that's completely independent. They select it, they pick it, they do all the research, ask their own questions, that kind of thing. In the past, we've done lit circles where we've had different memoirs and they've gotten to pick those and do them. I've done independent reading projects in the past. Those have been tough because homework is not super popular. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) I've heard. Um, What? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But those books just don't, they sometimes don't come back or they don't come back read or like you give this big project and say you have to do this on your own time and they just don't do it. So it's kind of like culturally insensitive to assign something like that without offering support to do it in school. So a lot of times what we do in school is together or maybe like small group type things. We always have some type of choice. It's usually just not with the big, the big books, but I will also like mandate independent reading at certain times. And we'll do that with like books in the classroom or they'll go to the library and pick it up. Like they have to read that after testing or things like that. They just like usually most years have to have a book somewhere in the room that they can read when they have extra time. That's cool. Yeah. I mm-hmm. enjoy doing that. I guess I do do that in my life, <laughs> but in school. Yeah. Yeah. It is just hard. Like I-, I think because technology has come such a long way and they can get so much more entertainment so quickly. It's just, they don't get the same satisfaction from reading a book. And if they're struggling readers, they can't picture what they're reading in their brains. And that's part of what makes reading enjoyable. Mm, yeah. So if that part of the process isn't there, they're not going to like it at all. I also
0: feel like ninth grade is such a particular age where there's so much on your mind. And the last thing that you – I mean, I can remember reading throughout my whole life. I can't say that the beginning of high school, my first thought every day was, I'm going to sit down and read. It was probably like, who likes me? Or do I look weird? Or whatever. How am I going to make friends? So I think – I can I can understand it being a tough age for reading for sure.
3: You know, doing sports and joining clubs and like the musical and all that kind of stuff. They they are just not concerned about they're like, Oh, we got out of school at two eighteen this year. Let me just go run around the neighborhood with my friends. Like they they don't they're not taking books out. <laughs> fair.
1: It's fair, but it makes me yeah. it makes me sad. Although I guess, you know, just because they're not a reader in high school doesn't mean that they won't become a reader later.
3: Yeah. And I think too, like Often, I mean, I've had a lot of kids say after they're done with ninth grade, like, oh, I read this book and that made me want to read more. There's a big push in education now for what's called like a knowledge building curriculum, which is like your units. I should say like when we were in high school, the teachers kind of taught the texts. It was like, you have to learn this text because everybody's expected to know Romeo and Juliet or whatever. And like, they just had to teach that. We had to be exposed to it. Now the trend is you build a unit around Romeo and Juliet in some way that like builds kids knowledge of the world that can kind of make it easier to access the text or like make them thematic units. So that can often get them interested in a topic and want to read more on it later on. Which I think is cool because we didn't have mm-hmm. that before. Oh. It was like you read this book and, and like that was next, yeah. that was all you did. Yeah. yeah, that was it. You read the book and then you read the next one and you wrote an, you mm-hmm. wrote an essay on it and mm-hmm. then you moved on. Like this is not like that. It's like we're our whole first unit is called like who changes the world and we read like a bunch of texts about like different world leaders and have to talk about like global change and it just exposes them to a lot more stuff that they had no idea existed and that gets them going in different directions and it grounds it in something that's like very real to them yeah
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. here's the million dollar most important question does book it still exist what is that book it it was like the um pizza hut would give you a free pizza accelerated if you-
0: reading ar
1: no, it was like if you read a certain amount of books over the summer, Pizza Hut would give you a free personal pan pizza.
0: No, yeah, I had AR, which oh. is like you read books, took tests on them, and if you got a certain number of points, and you got to go to a water park.
1: Oh, wow, maybe this is different regionally, but I remember Book It being a huge incentive to read.
0: I am quite a bit younger than you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I need to look into that. That's, I don't know if that still exists, but... I don't think we ever had that, though, because I would have definitely done that. And all I ever did was all I ever did was take my report cards to Krispy Kreme and get donuts free. Oh, I didn't do that. Yeah, it's
1: different everywhere. They should
3: bring back the pizza thing, though, because if there's anything
0: like universal source of motivation across generations, everything, it's pizza.
1: So a pizza place just opened in my neighborhood and they have something for if you're under 18 and you've read three books in the past month you can go get a free pizza and it's like a gourmet place too and you need to submit the names of the books the titles and then like two sentences about each book and I was like oh that's so interesting as like a community program I love that
3: see I feel like my kids at this point are smart enough that they just be like well I'm gonna look up a summary online and I'm just gonna like go to Pizza Hut and do it yeah I guess so
0: (laughs) I mean, maybe they would read the summary and then want to read it. So, you yeah. don't know. Maybe That's it would work. True.
3: <laughs> That's true. That's a really good point. <laughs> it is really hard to get kids to, like, want to read. We don't, like, we can't mandate, like, summer reading or anything anymore. Like, it's just really, they just don't want to do it. So,
1: <laughs> Do you find that that guess... changes as they get older?
3: Or it's that the they, same? The desire to read? I think that... Struggling readers, often that doesn't change because reading is really hard and who wants to spend time doing something that's really difficult mm-hmm. and not that enjoyable. Yeah. If they can find books that they like sometimes, but I think if they have a good teacher at some point, it changes. Yeah. If they have a teacher who like makes them feel smart or makes them like doesn't make them write about everything and just like reading for enjoyment and talking about it then they like it a little bit more Ugh, but
1: i remember there was such uh not a controversy but there was like such a big thing in my high school because there was one hot young english teacher and then there was one like old lady english teacher and i had the old lady mm. one and i feel like the people who were in the hot young guys english class were so excited because they wanted to impress him <laughs>
3: Yeah, I probably would have been a very good reader then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wish I could remember his name. Yeah, I mean, like, I know all my favorite teachers. That's not true. A lot of my favorite teachers in high school were English teachers because you get to know your English teachers a lot mm-hmm. by, like, talking to them and, like, you know... Everything that you talk about with literature is like, what's your opinion? What's your take on this? How does this relate to your life? And like, you talk about it a lot. And I think if, if I get kids who come in here and they can connect with a book and we can have a good conversation, sometimes they'll want to read more because they've made a connection with something, yeah. but that doesn't always happen. Yeah. And some might like to to know the story, but they want to watch the movie and not read the book.
2: No, I for that
0: reason.
3: yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. I'll watch them. I, yeah. I'm the same way, but I feel like most of the time kids, a lot of kids come in loving to read and leave loving to read and some catch on, but it's
0: not a lot. That
3: makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: I think that's true of adults too. Honestly, there's some people that are just, you think like, Oh, if they just read the right book, they'd love to read. But you know what? Not everyone loves to read and that's okay.
1: I Mm -hmm. have recommended so one of my best friends goes to Nantucket every summer. And I'm like, you got to read Ellen Hildebrand. Like, this is your the summer that you're living. You've got to read this. You're going to love this so much. And she has been had the same book downloaded on her Kindle
3: for three years. And I'm like, have you read it yet? And she's like, nope. Yeah. Well, my friend who actually like turned me on to this podcast, she gave me an Ellen Hildebrand book and she's like, you got to read this. You're going to love it. I got like five pages in and I was like, this is just not my genre. It's just not for me. But I, like, love historical fiction. I'll read anything historical fiction. Doesn't really matter what it is. Love it. Anything I really actually don't like very much that's super contemporary. But I know that. So, like, Mm -hmm. now when I'm looking for something to read, I know that that's what I'm going to like to read because I found my niche. And some people just never do. Well, I think that's so
1: important, too, to destigmatize bad books. Because I think, even for myself, like, I used to love reading romance and I was embarrassed by it because I thought it was less intellectual or it was somehow...
0: It wasn't Beowulf or No, not that it
1: wasn't Beowulf, but like just that, you know, it was like, oh, what does this say about me that I'm reading this book with a lot of sex scenes? Like, does that make me perceived a certain way? And I think like destigmatizing and just like, that's what whenever anyone is like, I want to read more. I'm just like, read what you like.
0: doesn't matter what it is. Well, that's why it's cool that you're teaching the Hunger Games. I mean, that's cool.
3: I teach, like, multiple levels of classes. I have, like, honors kids who are, like, all of them have goals of going to college. And then I have the lowest classes you have that have kids with a lot of learning disabilities mixed in with just, like, general education kids, too. But it's really tough to, like, find books that, like, everybody can access really easily. Mm -hmm. So the Hunger Games is really fun because kids want to read that. Mm -hmm. So they have more stamina Mm -hmm. than if I put something boring in front of them that doesn't have a movie promised at the end. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad that they at least will read one book by the time they leave. Yeah. Because they almost all will finish that or if they don't finish that, they're going to finish Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian because they want to know what happens to Junior. They just got to know.
1: Huh. I love that. Caroline, thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us and being so generous with your time and, and your experience. Oh, sure. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, let's get into obsessions. Tell me about your obsession, Becca.
1: I have two. First, I cannot believe I haven't talked about this on the podcast yet. My Amazon hair clips. So Are they
0: Amazon branded? I'm imagining a hair clip with a prime insignia.
1: No, they're just from Amazon. Okay, that's fine. Probably from China. So when I was in Maine for my girls weekend, all of my girlfriends all had claw hair clips, all the same kind. And they were just like fucking littered about the house. It's the best. I love a hair clip. And I picked one up. I used a claw clip for the first time. I'm very behind on the trends. Really loved it. But they come in an eight pack. It's like $10 for an eight pack. And the colors are really fun. So there's like a rainbow confetti one. Right now I'm wearing a tortoiseshell one. Classic. But I'm obsessed with them and I think it's such a good value.
0: Hair clips are, I cannot believe that we all endured hair bands for so long.
1: I don't think that I have used a hair band in years except for this one bun hairstyle that I sometimes do where I have to put my hair in a high Hmm. ponytail for it. I mean, it's good to have options. I used to never be without a hair tie on my wrist, and I oh, like same. there were entire I think decades I own, of my life. Yeah, me too. I think I own two hair ties at this point. Yeah, I want to get rid of all of them. Yeah,
0: let's burn them together. Well,
1: I feel like my hair is also so much healthier for not using hair ties. Yes, it just rips out your hair. Yeah, and it's like the breakage yes. of the point where you're wherever you're putting it up. Absolutely. Yeah. What about you? oh, wait, I have a second one. I cannot get enough of the Don't Worry Darling drama. It feels like the perfect antidote to our political times. Oh, like, it's... everything's heavy. It's like, this feels like a light middle school drama. Like, I don't actually think anyone did anything really bad. I just think it's backstabbing. And it's glorious. It, it's so, it's great. I think we have did Harry Styles, spit on Chris Pine, I don't know. Was I entertained by it? Absolutely. What do you think?
0: I'm foregoing my obsession. I'm throwing it to the side just so we can have think, a few minutes to I talk didn't about know.
1: this. I think, know, I think the videos that I've seen of him forgetting that his sunglasses are in his lap are pretty compelling, but I think it did look like he spit on him.
0: Okay, I, th- I don't buy the sunglass theory at all. I don't know mm. what he was laughing at, but I, I don't think it was the sunglasses. I also don't think he spit on him, mm. but I was going to say... Who among us? I think have we would you all also, be okay with being spit on Have Mary you also Spine?
1: been following the theories, does Chris Pine write erotica? Does he? Well, so... You've never had my attention more. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm very... I have had a week off. I'm very invested in TikTok. So... Chris Pine, part of it is that he's like a very serious actor. He uh, has a flip phone. He ha- he does a flip phone. He has a BA from oh, yeah. Berkeley, I think. And he trained at like a very prestigious acting place. And and one of his professors from Berkeley came forward, came forward, sounds like much more serious than it was. And was like, yes, Chris Pine was in my seminar in 2002. And it was an erotica writing seminar. And it was like, he was very gifted. And I it wasn't was. disrespectful at all. And I'm like,
0: a gift. I'm sorry, you can't, that is illegal. You cannot look like Chris Pine and also be a gifted erotica writer.
1: This whole drama feels, it's like, are Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde actually dating? What did Olivia Wilde do to Florence Pugh? Like, it just, it feels low stakes. We're at no point- We haven't even mentioned Shia LaBeouf. Well, that, I mean, he is the bad person in this, where there are some serious allegations against him, not related to this movie. I don't feel like anything's gonna come out where it then makes me sad for having speculated. Like, it feels very middle school to me. Do
0: you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I loved that I was like, oh, wow, did Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine? And then the next day he was like, popped over to Venice to spit on Chris Pine. (laughs) (laughs) And then everyone was like, ah, we love you. And I was like, our society is crumbling and I love it. It is, but
1: this feels like the low stakes distraction. Yes, exactly. That I need. I hope that it doesn't have a darker side to it. But I'm just, I'm loving it. I'm loving the fashion. I'm loving all of it. Does the movie sound good?
0: Oh, I want to see it.
1: I don't think it does, but am I going to see it? Absolutely. It's
0: playing an IMAX, just an idea.
1: Interesting. <laughs> I did not know that. I don't
0: know why I know that, but I do.
1: Huh. So very invested, have watched approximately 12 hours of videos about this I would Oh, say. I'm I'm a foremost expert on this, I think. I think I am, too. Like, I think we could write a dissertation. I wonder what. Should we? I, I wonder if, like, Entertainment Weekly needs us.
0: <laughs> I mean, we are available. We are a little tipsy, but we are available. <laughs> Call us for a good time. OK, if you had to take one person's side in this whole thing, if you had to. OK, no, I take that back. Another question. Physical fight between all of them. Who would win?
1: OK, if I had to take one person's side to answer the question that you were like. Don't answer that. Florence Pugh. I think that I get a good vibe from her. I feel like she's above the drama. I feel like some shitty things have been done to her, but she's taking the high road. And I'm on her side.
0: Yeah, I'm with you.
1: Who's going to win in a physical fight? I don't know who's going to win in a physical fight. Who's going to win in a media fight? Harry Styles. I feel like he could murder somebody in cold blood on video. And like the world would rush to defend him,
0: I think that's true. I, I don't know. I was telling Becca this. My entire TikTok algorithm, the entire thing, is just Harry Styles videos, and it's all like the most sexual Harry well, it's Styles a concert, concert videos concert from slowed down where he's like doing all kinds of motions yep. that are probably completely mm-hmm. innocuous.
1: I have gotten not gotten into in that like i am into it but like tiktok is serving me a lot of larry stylinson tiktok right now too oh really and i'm getting all the gay look <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> together beck and i are turning into like the entertainment QAnon people
1: <laughs> we are well, over here with like the threads on the board connecting the. oh things. my god there was this tweet i didn't feel like i'm gonna reshare it because i felt like i was I'm going to get cancelled for it, but I'm drunk, so I'm gonna tell you what it said now. And I'll maybe edit this out later if it becomes a bad idea. Where it was like <laughs> the don't worry, darling drama is QAnon for extremely online people. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Jake is like,
0: are you still watching theories about yep. everything? And I'm like, yes. All of it. I'm the, watching all of it. The GOAT video. Oh my god, the goat video. I cried I said, Jake, watch this. How are you not crying laughing? He was like, oh yeah, it was funny. <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. Oh, man. Do you still want to see your time? I'd like to hear about your obsession.
0: I don't even care. Who cares? It's just a Starbucks drink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, why discuss what I'm ordering at Starbucks when there is a world There is a Chris
1: I Pine carries- writing
0: erotica. <laughs> oh, my God. Just- that is new information to me. I have not seen that. But, oh, I don't know if he's still writing erotica. He just wrote erotica. Listen, I'll tell you about the Starbucks drink I love next week. For now, let's just... You won't, because we already recorded that episode in two weeks. I won't weeks. tell you. I'll still be drinking it, probably. It's highly addictive. I think there's something in it, hmm. other than the 19 things that are on the label that I'm currently staring at. Yeah. Books. Back Books. on topic. Back on topic. There's actually a piece of erotica by Chris Pine. I don't know if you it's all about Princess Diaries too. Anyway, <laughs> oh
1: okay. my god! I'm sorry. Tell me what you've been reading. Okay, so I finished the final Gambit, third book in the Inheritance Game series. I was neutral on it. I ended up like a three out of five stars. But you know, at at book three in a series, like I'm gonna read it anyway. Of course. Like it could just be like cartoon drawings of penises, and I would be like, "Yep, gotta know what happens." It, it isn't. Man, we're a back racy, to erotica. It isn't a racy book, so I don't know why I used that, but. You get it. I can't wait till the teachers we interviewed are like, hey, guys. Oh, my God. Oh, I hope they don't share it with
0: like, their administration. They're like, these. <laughs> the ants. word erotica is only mentioned 12 <laughs> times. And also cartoon penises once.
3: And they're drunk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is neither here nor there, Becca.
1: So for new listeners, we're usually not drunk. The second book I read is Scandalized by Ivy Owens, which was purported to be a book by a debut author. But there's some like fun, low stakes drama around it. And it turns out that it's actually written by Lauren from Christina Lauren, who, if you don't know, are two people.
0: I really wanted you to say it was actually written by Chris Pine. But I'm sorry. It was I'm not sorry. written by
1: Chris I Pine. I can't. Go that ahead. we know of. Go ahead, go ahead. That we know of. Maybe yeah. there are layers.
0: We've cracked the code.
1: So anyway, this book could not have been written more for me if they tried. It was a celebrity normal person romance about it was second chance romance. Well, they weren't really dating previously. It was it was okay. My high school best friend's hot older brother and then we grow up and oh, we wow. run into each other nice. when our flights gotten canceled and there's only one hotel room. Can you guess what happens? She doesn't know it at first, but he's a famous actor.
0: Oh wow. And Lairs.
1: Just fireworks. Fireworks, fireworks, fireworks.
0: Isn't that what's on the cover?
1: Yeah, fireworks. Oh. It is so addictive. It, I've heard
0: really good things I just, about like, this. sunk
1: into this. The writing is great. It was so fun. Like, it just... It felt... I don't know how you can tell if an author is having fun when they were writing it, but I'd like to imagine that it felt like this author was having a fucking blast writing this.
0: I really want to read this when I'm at the beach in a couple weeks.
1: Oh, it was... Amazing. Can't recommend it enough. Not going to win a Pulitzer, but like just had the fun came through. Chris Pine outdid himself. (laughs) He does it again, ladies and gentlemen. He does. Do you think that if we tried, we could start we could effectively start that rumor that this book is written by Chris Pine? I've always you wanted to be known that,
0: for something.
1: Do you think that... I don't even think Lauren of Christina Lauren would be mad. No. I mean... That could only be good PR a, for her
0: book. I... Wow. Let's talk about yours. Okay. So I mentioned this book a few weeks ago, and I never actually talked about my final thoughts on it. It's called The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich. The concept of a book is that everyone wakes up and that on their doorstep is a box with a string... Every person has a string that's over the age of 22, I think. And the length of the strings coordinate with the length of your life. Okay. So some people look immediately. Some people throw them out immediately. And my question for you, Becca, is would you look? Would you be able to resist?
1: What kind of self-control do you think I have? I would... Okay, here's what I would do, honestly. I would put it on my counter for let's say an hour I would text everyone I knew find out what they were doing and then give in and open it no matter what anyone said okay what would you do
0: the rational part of me knows that looking would not be a good idea but I don't think I would be able to resist but I think it would kill me because even if it was like I had the longest life possible I don't know if I would feel good, like, knowing that there was a timer. I mean, of course, we all
1: know there's a timer. I think it would be comforting to know because assuming it was what was going to happen anyway, it didn't change anything. Even if the answer was you're going to die next year, Hmm. then you would know and you could change how you're living. If it was like you're going to die a little too soon, but, like, medium, then you can adjust. You're like, I don't need retirement savings. I'm going out. Or if you're like, if you're the longest, you're like, OK, well, got a plan for the future. Yeah, that's the book is interesting because it
0: kind of it's like there's short stringer support groups. And then there are like short stringer travel plan groups where everyone just does. Bucket Maybe list I need trips. to read
1: this after telling you about kind of this like existential crisis I'm having. Would it, it make, make, make me, me feel better or worse?
0: I don't know. It makes you think about life. In a very interesting way. Because it's like, what if you had a partner and they had a different length string? How would that affect how you felt? Oh, yeah. If none of those books sound good to you and you're not in the mood for Chris Pine (laughs) (laughs) Pine (laughs) erotica. If you've read all the Chris Pine erotica that you can find on the internet and none of the books we shared sound good to you, a reminder that our September book club pick is Killers of a Certain Age by Deanna Rayborn. It is about four middle-aged female assassins who have retired and are on a cruise together and realize they are being hunted by another assassin. As you can tell, I still need to read the book as well, but I am looking forward to it based on Becca's recommendation.
1: (laughs) Truly delightful. Yeah, truly
0: delightful. If you want to talk about any of this in the Facebook group or just Talk about Chris Pine and Harry Styles. Please join us. It's Bad on Paper Podcast on Facebook. You can also find us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm at Olivia Mentor. Loves Chris Pine. I'm just kidding. It's just at Olivia Mentor.
1: I'm at Pekka M. Freeman at Harry Styles. (laughs) Forward my mail. (laughs) We gotta go. Bye. Oh, wait. I have a second one. It's coded. What does this mean? You know what this is. I cannot get enough. Oh of my god! I cannot. Oh get enough. my god!
0: You're gonna bring this up when I have yeah. a couple of glasses of wine. I'm literally about to flip this table. <laughs> I can talk about this for an hour.